0: We are back, Bailey and Harper, Better Than Ever, episode 21. We haven't fired ourselves yet. The podcast rolls on, and (laughs) (laughs) Roman Harper, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I
1: mean, I love that we have not fired ourselves yet. That is
0: an awesome (laughs) way to start the show. done a decent job, according (laughs) to ourselves, so we'll try to do it a 21st time here. You uh, know what? I'm going to go complain to management. (laughs) Are you, <laughs> I'm gonna go complain to management. Well, if your I wife downstairs is management, I think we're gonna be okay. Still, I don't I mean think she s- might fire us. You're right. She if might we, kick you out. But she, I ain't going nowhere today. Well, that's <laughs> probably true. So y- you might hear a man laughing in the background. That is our buddy, Coach Matt Darty. We've uh, we plugged it, so it's no shock that he's here. But Coach Matt Darty, the uh, the latest guest on the Bailey and Harper podcast. Coach, it's good to have
2: you. Mike. Yeah, it's fun to be here, man. Uh, I appreciate it. It's uh, neat to spend time with you, Roman. I get to see Kyle once a week. Uh, to be in your home and also see some of your memorabilia and do a little research on your career. Uh, You've had an amazing, amazing career. Thank you. And – Uh, and, and, and so, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's cool to be in here. Um, Thanks coach.
1: I I appreciate it, man. And look, I've been on the show with you with Kyle before, uh, only one time. It was a very great honor for me because I love talking ball with other coaches. Uh, the way that you talk and explain X's and O's and you really dive in, it really just brings me right to that place because when you talk about it and the way that you use your words, it can really, it it is really easy for you to draw a picture. Do you see how big this man's head is already? You don't need to keep doing all that. There's I mean anytime anytime I can talk to a Keep going on, here, Roman, man, keep going Roman. You know what I mean? We'll get we'll just get <laughs> Kyle right. Yeah. At I know. Him. I was going to say
2: you're you're a lot younger than me and you've got some serious gray up I there, mean, man.
1: As long as we don't lose it though, right? Yeah, that's exactly. The, that's the biggest key to it is don't ever lose it. I I don't care if it turns on me, just don't go away. right. Nailed it.
0: Right. So uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, we probably weren't supposed to hear all that, but uh, we did. And you <laughs> and I are pretty good about not spilling the beans and you know that sort of thing. But we just got to watch a little bit of the uh, the national championship game pre-production. Yeah,
2: meeting. I um, love that stuff uh, because you feel like you're in a, a coaching meeting. Right. That's exactly what it is. You're, you're talking personnel. You're talking strategy. Um, you're evaluating talent. Um, you know you're getting in the minutia of the game, and to hear you and 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 Tebow and and whoever else Marty Smith was on the call to get that insight. Um, you know I couldn't help myself because I can't help but coach or make a comment. Right. And when you guys were talking about Mac jo- Mac Jones, yes, and and talking about what he's not and he's not a great athlete, but you know, and I said, well, you know. Um, Tom Brady's not a great
1: athlete. Very true. He's a Pey- horrible athlete. Peyton
2: actually. Manning is probably a worse
1: athlete. Right. And so the thing is that, that that scares you with that now is because the NFL's changing literally yep. right in front of us. So if you're superior in these other elements, then you can be lacking in athleticism. But so often now we're seeing so many offenses, the the game is evolving to where you want at least to have a quarterback that can get out of the way. Right. Like Joe Burrow is not the the best athlete, he's a much better athlete than what people give him credit for. He's very mobile. He can stay within the pocket. He can beat you outside the pocket. He is the player that, man, like, if I could get me a quarterback, that's who I'd want. Him or somebody like Herbert. Herbert's another guy uh, from the Los Angeles Chargers that Mm -hmm. came out of Oregon. Really great athlete but has the big arm. He's strong. Trevor Lawrence is another great example. Like, that is what people are starting to trend towards because, you know – not everybody's great as Tom Brady. Like, Tom Brady's right. so good, and he's not a great athlete, but he's so good inside the pocket. Right. He knows how to get back. He knows how to step up. He doesn't take a lot of bad hits. Right. And young quarterbacks, they take bad hits because they don't have the command of the pocket. So the only way to protect them is, is either spend a whole bunch of money on offensive line. Or roll them out. Or roll them out, or just Run. draft a better athlete. So yeah. that those are your options. And, and when you only got three options and two of them, you don't have the money and... And you don't have the athleticism. You just now. You're just in trouble. Yeah. So, so for anybody who doesn't know, if you listen to,
0: if you made it to episode 21, you know what he does for a living. But uh, SEC Network, right? Monday yes. night national championship game. Same crew. You and Tebow yes. and Neverland. Me,
1: Tim Tebow, Jordan Rogers, and we will have Marty Smith filling in for us for Love Laura. It. Laura is going to be doing working a Sunday uh, uh, NFL game on Sunday. And because of COVID restrictions, she will not be able to travel and meet us down there, in Miami because of her other things. So she'll be working a uh, simulcast or what do we call it? We just- A multicast, which is like new. We talked about that too. It's gonna take us right to probably another conversation is the technologies that 2020 has kind of forced upon us and the capabilities that have kind of been here that we just did not know or to actually think about using.
0: So let me ask you a question real quick then, because I got into a heated debate with somebody about this earlier today. I would love both of you to answer this question. Have you seen the – of course you've seen the news about the Browns. Kevin Stefanski has COVID, two right. coaches, two players. Uh, the NFL is, is not going to – you know, they have this rule in place where you can't do anything remotely from off-site. Yep. But the Browns are saying – NCAA has the same thing. Well, Mina, I think Mina Kimes brought it up yesterday, and somebody else did. They said, well, wait a minute, you've changed – pretty much everything yeah. else for this season you've got guys <laughs> calling games remotely what what sort of competitive advantage could Kevin Stefanski have from calling plays at home from his man cave or somewhere like does it would y'all have a problem with that I
2: I, I think that you should be allowed to do it I think so it's it's um, the technology's there uh there is a little bit of a delay uh, if he's watching it off tv mm-hmm. unless he's a live feed but I think that uh Due to COVID, you're making a lot of other exceptions. Uh, this
1: would be a natural exception. To would make. you have a problem with that? So I would have a problem with that. I think that you have to have – everything needs to go on inside that building or inside on the sidelines from upstairs to downstairs. That's the only communication that needs to happen. I'm a firm believer of that. Now, can Kevin Stefanski text one of those coaches and say, hey, of you need to make sure you run these plays. Like, we, we, where am I seeing this play? We need to run this. That's fine to me. I think that that should be all good and dandy, and I think he should do that. Keep an eye on things and make sure that the ship is still running correctly. But man, you're out. You don't get to have get to come out there and do some other things. No, I'm I'm with it the way that the NFL is really? doing it. I ram. I am. I, I what think. A, what about I it think if it should be headsets a, only? The same amount of time. We're not going to get some broadcast from Stefanski's house to get him to be able to be there for the team. Like, you can speak on Zoom and do all those other things. But once the ball kicks off, you got to go out there and play and win the game with who's out there and who's available. What if you had
2: uh, a COVID room? Like, yeah. he could get to the stadium and be upstairs in the headsets.
1: So, so yeah. So, everybody thought about this, too. We've discussed this previously uh, with Nick Saban. At least I have right. on other shows because he had COVID situation. Correct. And you can't quarantine if you're coming around people. You just can't do it. So we can't say, all right, guys, we want to be smart. We want to be COVID safe. Quarantine, quarantine if you get tech. And then all of a sudden, all right, well, I know you're supposed to quarantine, but we're going to let you come in and quarantine in this room um, for a while we're, you know, so we can help us win the game. You, I just think like, you got to be one way and you got to be strong about it. And you can't just like, when it comes to when you pe- test positive, man, you got to quarantine. The quarantine means stay in your house, and you can't go nowhere. You're saying, but the NFL could have
0: solved all of this by putting these games in the bubble, like doing a bubble for the playoffs, which they, a lot right. of us thought they were going to do. And like the coach's point, there already aren't fans in the stands. You don't have a luxury box you can right. let him sit in by himself. I, I get it. That the Lions IT director was living in a Winnebago in the GM's driveway going into the NFL draft. I just don't think it's that big a deal. I
1: think I, it would – I'm with you. But the rules have not been set. They haven't backed off of those rules. And I just feel that once you set them up and you're to that point, and, yes, 2020 has been different. And, yes, everybody's changed every rule throughout the year, right, to do whatever we can just to get by. I do get that and I respect that. But if you still look up, the NFL still played all their games. They got them all in. Yeah, They got them all in. And nobody – I'm a little shocked. I didn't know if the season would finish. I'm being honest with you. I thought the NFL coach
0: was the one league. I think I told you this <laughs> months ago. I think I, somebody kept, People kept asking me on the radio, do you think the NFL is going to play? Yeah. It's a, it's a $10, $15 billion enterprise.
1: They're going to do gonna it. And I, I didn't know if college would get through it. They got through it. They're here at, right at the end. And they're still talking about it. They don't know if they're going to play on Monday. But they're here. And everybody, they're going to finish this season. And teams have had to play without position groups. Uh, teams have had to get through this thing all year long it's been a constant battle and at some point when the season over a lot of people be able to just relax and you're still gonna be able to go nowhere but you'll be able to relax (laughs) and not get something prodded (laughs) up your nose every single day (laughs) all right let me I love I'm so glad he's here
0: so just because I want to get to it you know you're here and we want to have you here often coach I mean Mm -hmm. you and I've developed a great relationship over the past year or two but you're here at, first and foremost because we want to talk about your new book. Thank you. And I want to come back to all this fun because yes. Lord knows we're going to have a good deal of it. But the, the book you have out now, and I'll be honest, for a while I had no idea you were writing a book. I don't yeah, know well, widely known, but there's a book coming out by Matt Daugherty. It's called Rebound from Pain to Passion. And <laughs> uh, I guess the obvious thing is why the hell did you decide to write a book? Because that sounds like a lot of work.
2: Yeah, writing a book uh, um, is a lot of work if you're going to write it. <laughs> you know, if you have a ghostwriter – Um, then that's a different deal. But I I did write the book. Um, It's been in the works since I lost my job at North Carolina in 2003. Wow. Um, Just just almost uh, for for therapeutic reasons, Mm -hmm. like to just get things on paper and get it out of your head and get it out of your soul and to try to learn from it. And and then, you know, I didn't you know, I had people say you should write a book, you should write a book. And I, I'm not going to write a tell all book. And, 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 you know, I'm going to take the high road. And and then I started doing more corporate talks. And when I would talk on leadership after the talks, people say, You have a book. I'm like, No, I don't have a book. They're like, You should have a book. <laughs> no. and, and even, quite frankly, even if it's not, uh, you know, if it's not a book that is uh, sold, at a high level it is almost like your business card yep and it is it gives you credibility to say you're an author yeah i mean and so then i start looking at people who have written books on leadership and i'm like
1: well you got way more credentials what has that guy done yeah yeah you know
2: he just he just studied it i've got (laughs) my i've got my butt handed to me i've lived (laughs) it i've experienced it yeah yeah. and and so um and then i've gotten into the executive coaching space Um, I realized how valuable that was when I was coaching and I think that we should have more of that in sports in particular. I went on this leadership journey after I lost my job in 2003, studied at, at, uh, took some executive courses at Wharton, at Darden, met with some executive coaches and I'm sitting in these meetings and I'm saying, man if I would have taken some of these classes before I ha- was a head coach, maybe I'd still be the head coach. Yeah. And, and how come leadership isn't formally taught? Um, because you go from an assistant coach to being the head coach. And I use the analogy of it's like, okay, Roman, you work for Saban, got a great reputation, he pumps out good uh, head coaches. Here's the keys to a Ferrari. Um, I want you to drive it as fast as you can, and if you wreck it, we're going to find a new driver. And But yet we're not going to teach you how to turn the damn thing on. We're not going to teach you how to drive it. Yeah. And so now you're behind the, the wheel of this sweet Ferrari. You're trying to go as fast as you can, and you hit a turn, and you spin out and you hit a tree. You're done. And so they, we need to teach people. An organization is only going to rise to the level of the leadership. And you've been at Alabama, the best football program in the country. But you're also there on the heels of some downtime. No doubt. And then with Shula and then with Saban. What's the difference? Leadership. Easily. That's it. It's a guy wearing a headset. That is the only difference. It's the same campus, the same resources. It's the same fan base. Uh, but now you have a leader in there who raises the bar for everybody. So you played for Dean Smith. Yes. You played with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan wrote the he, he played with, He played with me.
1: Let's I, get that that's straight. That's way to play. Come on. Put some it. respect, yeah. Put some respect on my man Matt name. <laughs> Put some respect on his name, Kyle. So
0: <laughs> as you're on this journey and, and you're you know, realizing all these things about yourself, what was the uh, – uh, I saw a phrase the other day I love. It was the, it was the disgust of self-recognition. You ever heard that phrase?
2: No, but I like it. I,
0: I hadn't heard it before. I get I, it. But but I do too. I get it 100%. It's so pretty
1: much like you realize like you kind of yeah, think, you think you about get, yourself. You that. get pissed off when yes. you actually realize, like, dang, I'm actually probably not as good as I thought. Right. And,
0: and I suspect <laughs> all three men in this room are probably the same in that nobody's harder on us than we are. Right. I think we all agree on right. that. Right. But we
2: all have blind spots. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what I've talked about, there's six keys to leadership in my book. And – and
1: can you talk about those? Because yeah. I love to write a yeah, couple yeah. Down yeah. And I, I have to the book. I I'll yeah. have to <laughs> I would do that, too. I, I'm, that's my new 2021 goal is I'm going to read, like, seven books this year. Good. I don't ever read, but I'm going to read, like.
2: Good. That's impressive Good for an Alabama grad. Uh, Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. I told
1: you he was about to get feisty in here. It
2: doesn't bother me at all. He's, it's Virginia quite
0: kind of true. It's don't okay. Worry. It doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> Here's the deal, though. He, he went to Carolina. There's a whole lot of fake Oh, clashes. yeah, yeah, Oh,
1: they are no better than us. They are no better than us. No, no better. Boom. They lost that standing about <laughs> yeah. ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Hey, I, I, I didn't major in African American studies. Yeah, okay, okay. But, you so know, I, I, I yeah, had. I don't
1: think anybody else did either. <laughs> wow. I, was yeah. I don't think anybody else did well either. Played, Roman. Roman. Well played, bro. Well played. I love it. <laughs> the the I Roman. love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, you know, when you're a safety, you have to play. You're, you're, you're you got to have some intelligence because mm-hmm. you got to read. The, you got to be kind of the, the, the coach on that field because you see everything right yes so uh anyway the um i i I have to have acronyms because i think as a player as a coach um you want things to stick so i talk about and make stories out of it so i talk about recruiting this kid stevit from wisconsin and um stevit s-t-e-v-i-t and so the S instead of it stands for self. You've got to know yourself. So like you just talked about, how do you know yourself? How do you learn about yourself? Well, I think that a, a th- someone ever something everyone should do is do a disc assessment and or a Myers-Briggs assessment. And when I did that, this is after I lost my job. I'm going up and working with an executive coach, Carol Weber, who endorsed the, the book. Um, at UVA and I met with her for half a day and she had me do the Myers-Briggs uh, assessment and what I walked in and, you know, I was beaten down. I was beaten down. Like my confidence, you yeah. know, I'm a grown man, but my confidence was shaken. Yep. I'm like, man, maybe I'm not a good leader. And so I walked into her home and I was going to meet with her ha- for half a day and, you know, I'm kind of slumped down. And then she goes, well, just, you know, we have to some small talk. The Myers-Briggs says you're an ENTJ. And I jokingly say, I've been called a lot of four-letter words uh, when I played in places like Cameron Indoor Stadium at Duke and Reynolds Coliseum, but never an ENTJ. Wow. And so she explained what an ENTJ was, and she said only 2% of the population are ENTJs. So, Roman, I'm sitting there. Second tab from the
1: top. Yeah. I'm also an ENTJ. I'm yeah, the man, the I'm here yeah. with 2% of the population. I'm thinking I'm elite, and so I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying those
2: guys at Carolina just fired an elite coach. No doubt, right? Two percent. So all of a sudden, I'm I'm going from like body language slumped over to like my chest is, and I'm like, yeah, I'm I am a badass. Yeah. And she, I think, reads my mind, and she says, no, 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 you don't get it. She says that means ninety-eight percent of the population don't think like you think. Yep. And I'm like, holy crap. You'll, I, I'm sure yeah. your wife is not an ENTJ, right? No, but she's like the pol- the polar opposite.
0: And that's how it – I think a lot of <laughs> folks that I find, that's how it works out. Yep. My wife's the same way. And that phrase you just said, 98% of people don't think the way you think. Right. The number of times my wife has told me that is astounding. And so it's amazing to hear you say yeah. that because that's a perspective. And
1: that's also – another thing is when Kyle and I have these conversations off of the radio sometimes, he's always like, do you understand what I'm saying? Or like, right. am I wrong for thinking this Because I'm afraid way?
0: sometimes I'm too <laughs> blunt with people. <laughs> he does. Right? Do you ever get yeah. that? Because oh, yeah. There. But listen,
1: I've been accused <laughs> of being
0: too honest. I, I'm the same way. Because, <laughs> but I don't know how to be any other way. And so, right. it, How do you, like to your point, to your journey, how did you figure that out? And Well, I
2: figured it a... out by getting my ass kicked and losing my job at North Carolina. All mm-hmm. right. And, then, and so, going through this leadership journey. So then, um, the second thing was, um, you got to know your team. Mm-hmm. So like, you know yourself, Now, and I just talked to a friend of mine who's an assistant at Purdue. They do a personality assessment of um, their recruits, and I tried to do that at SMU, but at that point it was considered an extra evaluation. So we couldn't do it, but I wanted to give them a short dummy-down version of the Myers-Briggs because I want to know what buttons to push and what buttons not to push. And then the next one is know your environment, the E instead of it. Um, walking in as the head coach at Notre Dame was totally different than walking in as the head coach at North Carolina. And where are the landmines? And I, as a former player at North Carolina, thought I knew them, but I didn't. And I stepped on some and got blown up. Then V instead of it, know your vision. Now, that sounds simple. Well, we want to win championships. Well, you've got to really know it into a detail, and that way you can sell it to your team. And so I'm saying to you guys, hey, man, I'm getting goosebumps as I talk. I feel like I'm in in the locker room before a game. Let's go, Coach. Like, we're going to freaking cut down the nets. And when we win this game, all right, we're not celebrating on the court because we want to show these guys we expected to win. But when we get in this locker room, we're going to be dancing around like little kids. And at the beginning of the year, you know, okay, this is what our goals are for this team. This is how we're gonna do it. And so people can see it, taste it, feel it. And, and then that pulls them towards that goal. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then the industry, Stevit, S-T-E-V-I-T. Now as simple as it says, you gotta know your industry. Like what's the latest in technology? What's the latest uh, coverage of a pick-and-roll defense? What's the latest use of a three-point line? Um, what's the latest in analytics? Because you have to be the expert so when people look to you, they look to you that you are a competent leader and you're putting your team in position to be successful. And then the last thing, and I think this and the first one are the most important, um, is the T in it, The second T is the truth. You've got to mine for the truth. And I talk about you, and I I was talking about uh, Steve Lutz today. He's an assistant for Matt Painter at Purdue. And we were talking about this. I said, um, you should assign somebody on your staff as the truth teller, and even have it on their business card. And so your role, Kyle, is you're the truth teller on my staff. So anytime you want, you can come into my office, close the door, Sit down and tell me what's on your mind and how I screwed up and what's wrong with the program and how we need to get better and where
1: – so I now – That know, covers s- those blind spots you're talking about. Exactly. Big time. Did if you, you got somebody so, that's close enough to you that's willing to tell you mm-hmm. the truth. Right. When a lot of people that are under you, like, oh, I don't know, I don't know he's going to take it, maybe not at the right time. Yeah. Uh-uh. I The truth teller. I think that's brilliant.
2: And And, and so, you know, like – just think, we've all had leaders and coaches and bosses um, that are in our lives and they don't celebrate the truth. They don't mind for the truth. They don't create uh, a, a safe environment where, yeah, you could tell me the truth in a staff meeting. Like, and So you have to set the parameters in a staff meeting. Listen, this is where I want you to tell me what's on your mind. And we can agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. And I may or may not take your suggestion and don't take that personally, but I have to digest things because I gotta sell it to my players. And if I can't process it at the time, I'm not I might shelve it for the off season. But when we walk out that door, we better be aligned because if a player asks you a question about, hey, how come we're not how come we're playing this defense? And you say, I don't don't know. I try to get him to play um, a zone. That ain't it. Then there's no (laughs) loyalty. Yeah. So now I've got to give you respect that you're being heard. And that goes back to core values. Okay. My core values, respect, trust, commitment, and positivity. So if it's really – because the most important thing we want to feel as human beings is respect. Mm -hmm. Just think about Black Lives Matter. Just Mm -hmm. think about the racial tension in this country. It's all about being heard and being respected. Mm -hmm. That's more important than being loved because you can't love somebody if you don't respect them. It's very true. And then the second one is trust. And that kind of goes back to, you know, if we're in this meeting and I trust that you're going to tell me what's on your mind and that when we leave this we're going to be on the same page. And then a commitment to doing our job and and being accountable. And then last thing is positivity because – I don't – a buddy of mine, Kevin Stallings, used the coach at Vanderbilt, and he said, you know, there's two kind of players, energy givers and energy suckers. And I don't want to be around energy suckers. None I like want that. to be around people that, that bring the energy and the passion to the field, to the office, to the court. Because, one, it's more fun that way. And, two, you have a better chance to win. Mm-hmm. I got a question for you. Yeah.
0: So, when you and, – and I love that. And I think, you know, again – People need to buy this book. It's, I, I love your perspective, just having gotten to know you over the past couple of years. But I don't think – you've been very candid with, with me and with our listeners on, on FNZ here in Charlotte about some things. Uh, and, I, again, we're not going to spoil the book here, but these are things that you've talked about and obviously things that were reported. But when you were, when you resigned from North Carolina after three years, yeah. did you think your career was over? What, how did, that day, I know you vividly remember that conversation. Yeah,
2: I don't sure. think my career was over, but I knew it wasn't, you know, like – I, I I thought I – I quickly realized that I couldn't get a job. Well, first of all, it's like where do you go from North Carolina basketball, Alabama football, you know, you, you're going to take a dip. <laughs> it's just how far a drop is it going to be. Mm-hmm. And for me – You don't want to be coaching the high school. No, and no offense, but like, you know, I, after a year, I couldn't get some jobs – I'm like, dang, you know. And then you realize these ads can't, you know, my da- my reputation to my character, my leadership was questioned publicly. So these ads can't handle that because they've got to sell it to their mm-hmm. constituents. So finally, you know, it's like it's like a the stock market. You know, finally it hits a bottom, a floor support, and that was a low major program. It was FAU. And I didn't want to go past two years because I I was afraid if I was out too long, it'd be hard to get back in. So I took the FAU job. And what I found was, one, I got to put these lessons to work. Two, and I make mistakes. Like, you know, you're not like leadership is a, a skill like golf, like. You've got to practice it. Like, that's what things – like, people take a class or go to a weekend seminar or a company puts their – you know, brings in a speaker for two days and all of a sudden, okay,
1: like, you're going to be a good leader now? That's that mountaintop feeling. Like, you're up here at the top of the mountain. It's clear. It's really good. But eventually, you got to go back down. Yeah. Then you got to practice these things. Practice. And put them into work. We're talking about practice? Practice. (laughs) Practice, Coach. I – I have another question for you, and this is from me being a former athlete and always looking at the NCAA and things like this. How much of a pain in the butt is it to work with some of these ADs and some of these people that are the high ups that they really – have not played any sports. They really don't get what it's like to be in a locker room. All they really care about are the way that they look at everything is the bottom line and trying to put butts in the seats and they're trying to appease to the people that pay all this money for these universities. And like that is where they lean more towards versus me or you who's like, I want to do what's best for my players. I'm worried about the locker room. I don't have time for all these other things that these ADs and some other people worry or concern themselves with. How do you find a great balance of that? Because I feel like I would struggle with that yeah. if I was a coach and having to be able to, uh, the part of the, you know, kissing the babies and stuff and hugging the, right. g- hugging the babies, which is really just playing fiddle to these, the power players at universities.
2: Right, well, um, Larry Brown once put it uh, when we're discussing coaching in the NBA or the uh, college. And he says, in the NBA, you only have one boss and that's the owner mm-hmm. in college. You have a lot of bosses, and a lot of times you don't know who they are <laughs> because it is the boosters.
1: Yeah, you don't know who they are.
2: And so the human nature, and, and, and like, this goes back to the 98%. Like, people don't think like you think or you, you think or I think. So you think about just doing the right thing. Like, and, and, and I was big. Like, if you told me you were going to do something. You held it. Like, I expect you to do it. <laughs> Right. And so when people don't, it's, it's like, what? You told me you, you were going to give me seven years of my contract. It's only six? You told me that I would get an extension after year one, and you didn't? Like, like, wait a second. Or you told me it was my program, run it how you see fit. That's why I took the job because that's what Coach Smith told me. Mm-hmm. But he was recruiting me. And then once I got the job and I didn't run everything through him, I think that hurt him, and I wasn't aware enough. That was my blind spot. Mm -hmm. I wasn't aware enough because he told me it's my program running how I see fit. That's what he said. But that's not really what I need, I should have done. I should have run everything through him. Just think of the person who followed Bear Bryant.
1: Right, yeah. Probably not easy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> They're tr- still trying to replace John
2: Wooden out in UCLA. UCLA. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah. Without question. Without Those guys only come along
0: so often. What, what did, the, the relationship you have with Roy Williams, though, that's a fascinating relationship. Yeah. Because you know, even at the time, when you took the job, there were rumors that Roy was going to leave Kansas to take the job. He
2: opted not he was, to. Yeah, he was supposed to. Like but then that he was.
0: Was right. And then, but then when, when you, know, you, were, and you ended up resigning, Roy was publicly, you know, very upset about the fact that, you know, things ended for you. Yeah. I know that hasn't
2: been the the easiest relationship. No, for a lot of well, I look at it this way. Uh first of all, I worked with uh for Coach Williams for 7 years at Kansas. Mm-hmm. He was an assistant on the staff when I played. Um and then he helped me, I mean, without him I don't get the Notre Dame job. Without him I don't get the North Carolina job. He turned it down. Um and and then Look at it this way, like, okay, um, you and I are friends, you and your wife get a divorce, and then I end up marrying your wife.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah,
1: fu- that's, that's a great up. analogy. That's
2: like, fucked up, Brad, cause, Yeah, cause it's kinda yeah. messed up. Yeah, so th- but that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. Like, that's like, you know, now how's, how are we gonna be? We are gonna be boys? Right, right, <laughs> I get it. So, so there's a, a weird, uh, it was a weird dynamic, but as time passes, it's more comfortable uh he has shown me good respect and i like to think i've shown him good respect um and and you know i go back to reunions whenever i needed a ticket to a game i get great seats and the good parking pla- pass and um you know he wrote the f- he wrote a great endorsement for my book yeah, so did. so uh he he is uh and and quite frankly You know, he should have been the coach from the beginning. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, Coach Guthridge was there three years. And, you know, and Coach Williams had great teams coming back, which, oh, by the way, I helped recruit. You know, they went to two Final Fours. And so – it's just timing, decisions. And, and I tell kids all the time, I tell players all the time, and I've got to listen to my own advice. Your life is nothing but a series of decisions and dealing with the consequences. Mm-hmm. And the better decisions you make, the better your life will be. And so, you know, uh, and then there's some unintended consequences or some things that blindside you that are out of your control. And, and then, you know, it, it tests your faith. Like, I'm, you know, okay, God. You know why? Why did this happen,
1: Coach? You know, and not to turn this into a whole joke, but I can't help to think about it though. When you're talking about, you know, between you and Coach Williams, it reminds me of Talladega Nights. You know, with Cal Naughton Jr. and. And Ricky Bobby, and he's like, "Hey, you're still gonna be my best man at my wedding." Do you, you love know? the fact that his head moves the <laughs> like, is in Talladega as much as I do? He is, like, like, <laughs> he is from the south. He is from Platteville. Is it Platteville? Prattville. yes. Prattville. Prattville. Yes. <laughs> he's like, "Hey, you're still gonna be my best man at yeah, my yeah, wedding. Yeah, yeah. You're still gonna be, my, still best still gonna be my best he's man." He's like, "I know, I know, I took your wife, but, but, <laughs> but you're still gonna be my best man. You're still gonna be my best man." It takes a big man to get past something like that. It does. And you know for those that don't follow North Carolina basketball the way that I probably have not until now since so right. I live in the state you know, you don't know of those previous relationships. So I'm glad and really uh, encouraged that you're able to share that with us. And it does take time to get to these places where now you can talk about these things, past relationships, things and decisions. Like you said, that maybe I could have handled it differently. Maybe if I would have did this, man, maybe Coach Williams probably should have been the coach since day one. But then he had a good team coming back at Kansas. Did he really want to leave there? Which I did not know um, that 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 facility at Kansas is nice as it is. They said that arena, that that basketball that they play basketball in is one of the nicest ones in all of the country.
2: It's it's not when you say nice, it's old. It's old, but But it's one of the biggest, right? It's it's one of the best. It seats about uh, just under 16,000. It's the best arena in the country because the fans and the way it's shaped. Like, If you had to rebuild a stadium now because of ADA requirements, it flattens out. The uh-huh. seats are farther away because because of the, the way the uh, stairs go. You can't only, you know, this is like a forty five degree angle. Oh yeah, those are
1: dangerous up. stairs. Nobody likes walking up and down those stairs. Everybody's right. nervous. Right. And these are
2: all bleacher seats too, lower level or mo- mostly bleachers. So they pack them in uh-huh. and low ceiling, uh, and they they like their basketball. There's no pro sp- basketball. There's Kansas City Chiefs, Kansas City Royals, Jayhawk basketball. Yeah. So it's a big deal and. Um, it's the loudest place, one of the loudest places, if not the loudest I've ever been in.
0: Allen Fieldhouse. Is, it's a bucket list item for me. Yeah, it's one of those. It's on a list of about twenty things that I still want to see in sports before I, I'm yeah. gone. And, and because there's so many other things that I know I want to ask you, and he wants to ask you, and we don't want to spoil the book. But for anybody out there who's now hooked, they're intrigued, they want to buy the book. What else is in there? What else should they look? Well,
2: like? for, well, first of all, you can get it at Amazon, and uh, the it'll you can pre-order it. Uh, it'll be released. Uh, the first week of March, but the e-book version will be available next week. Okay. So um, it's a little background of my where I grew up. Um, You know, I I was blessed, man, like um, to, to grow up where I grew up on Long Island with great parents, you know. And, like, when you're a kid, you think that's everyone's life. But then you get to college and you're like, oh, or even in high school, I had some teammates. One was an, lived in an orphanage, and the other one's parents were divorced. And, you know, they'd come to my house, and my mother treated everybody like family. And, you know, we had a, a – my freshman year, the whole school was white. My senior year, we had – half the team was black, half the team was white. And, you know, at my house, we'd have the team over and my mom would be tucking some of the guys into bed on the couch and feeding them grilled cheese at one in the morning after, a, you know, championship game. Mm-hmm. And, and they all love my mom. And uh, I was just blessed to have uh, the family I did and the coaches I did, like Bob McKillop at Davidson, Steph Curry's hi- college coach. Yes. That was my high school coach. Oh, wow. My first two years. The Titans. So, yeah, so I was – and then to go to – you know, Dick Seitler followed him and then go to play for Dean Smith. Um, I was blessed to be around great coaches and play in the park with great players and, and, and then the guys in college. And, you know, heck, I, 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 it's, been, it's been a lot of lessons learned, and that's, that's what I want to give back. Uh, and now that I run a leadership practice for Vistage, um, I want to be able to take these lessons to – because it all applies. It's all the same stuff. And business is just not – you know, I say I say business is a contact sport. It's a physical, <laughs> mentally tough sport. They keep score. Yeah. There's winners and losers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and the same stuff applies. So, I mean, I, yeah, I well, worked on you? Wall Street for four – yeah, I couldn't keep a job, man. I, I did, did it. like it? Hell no. Oh, I, I left I left <laughs> I left Wall Street. I was there for four years. I'll tell you why I went to Wall Street. Do they even sleep on Wall Street? No. No. <laughs> they don't sleep. Do no. they I heard Everybody they can don't sleep. sleep from their they laptop sleep. these days though, right? The, I mean, the, the, the I got you know, and this is part of the book. Like uh, I thought I'd be drafted. I started at North Carolina for three years. I thought I'd be drafted in the top three rounds. Back then they had like nine rounds. I get drafted in the sixth round. It was the worst day of my life. And I'm like, oh, my God. Then I get cut by the Cleveland Cavaliers. They were so bad at that time, they called them the Cleveland Cadavers. And so I get cut, and I'm like, you know, I spent 12 years in love with basketball, 14 years, and it's turned its back on me. It's again, I, mm-hmm. uh, I think we could all relate to a, a relationship with – you know, something, you're, something you're, right. you're, you're, you're a girlfriend. Nowadays, you got to say a boyfriend or whatever with uh, someone else. And so my relationship was like, you're dating this girl for 14 years, and she says, eh, I'm done with you. I'm like, what? I've been good to you. We traveled together, we won, we lost, we cried, we, we laughed, and now I'm not good enough for you. And so I said, screw you, basketball. And I went to Wall Street. I'm like, I'm going to make money. And, and I'm like, I'm not driven. Like money is a byproduct of being successful. Like that was not the way I was wired as a kid, and so I quit my job, and 11 years later, I'm the head coach at Notre Dame.
0: That's amazing. That's (laughs) let me ask you a question. So I'm glad you brought up that the ENTJ idea use that Wall Street. As someone, and I've never talked a ton about the Myers Briggs test. Yeah, it's kind of. But are you someone, and I'm this way. Are you someone who feels like, and especially given all that you've been through? Like, you just have a penchant for learning things the hard way. Like, we just there, – there's some things along life that we just have this knack for learning things the hard way when we
1: probably could have made things easier.
2: Maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe so.
1: Yeah? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I feel like, so. Sometimes I feel like that. So, yeah. I'm one of these people that looks – I've taken the Myers-Briggs test. You right? have? I have. I don't what? remember so what where are I, are I was. <laughs> but the thing is, I'm one of those people that, like, I hate learning things about myself that seem very real when I read it right when right. all of a sudden you figure like you oh you're just taking a test you're just answering these questions you're answering this question all of a sudden it, it comes up and you're like dude I am that like am I really that person right and it makes me question everything and like what
2: question what
1: like am I really that person
2: like Obviously, it's probably not a
1: good thing that you read. Right, yeah. right. So it's not always a good <laughs> like thing either. Like, what, what Like, some of the qualities
0: that I am. Yeah, like, but you know damn good and well with those tests when they give you your run out. It's like, here's all the good things about you. This is awesome. This is
1: awesome. Oh, man, yeah. I might yeah. be
0: kind of a dick sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. like, man,
1: am I really first. like a loner? Am I really the guy that seems like he wants attention? Am I really the guy right. that... And I'm like, I thought I tried to be humble. I thought I tried right. to... Then it, so that part of it, the like, the actually aspect of once you notice and talking to the man in the mirror, you're looking at that man in the mirror and actually having those discussions, I think that's one of the best things that you talked about so far, Coach, and just uh, and actually kind of reading who you are. I think more people should really try and dive into that because, like you said, the very first thing that you talked about in recruiting the Stevit is yourself. Yep. Like, you have to know yourself. And it's so important to be
2: honest with yourself, too. Exactly. And that's why one of the... Most eye-opening experiences I did after I I left North Carolina was do a 360-degree survey where you give it to your employees, your assistant coaches, and they fill out this uh, survey, and they send it in to an executive coach. Dr. Jerry Bell handled it for me, and then he gives you the feedback in a form where it protects the identity of the people. Mm -hmm. So now you're getting stuff like, you know, yeah, organized hard worker, but – You know, too blunt, uh, too direct, um, uh, you know, just things that you read in black and white. Yeah. And that's like, wow, like you just touched on, like, (laughs) wow, really? Like I try, really? Like I was raised better than that.
0: It goes really? Back to that—that that disgust of self-recognition. <laughs> exactly. And that's I, a I'd great quote. i never come across that phrase until recently.
2: Disgust of self-recognition. Well, Wh- just, who said that? I, I'm trying to think. I'm going to Google it because I yeah, think I that's like on that. show I'm that's by Yeah, I like that. I'm going to put that in the rotation.
0: I, I'm definitely going to write that down. It's, it's, yeah. well, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like that's the perfect way to yeah. say it—the disgust of self-recognition. But so I, I got to thinking about something else a moment ago. Wait, because. wait a second. I get interrupted.
2: Okay. Did you get a hit in the mouth or? What do you mean? Or you got a dip in? What you...
0: I, I got a dip in.
2: Oh, oh yeah, Roman, no, gotta, didn't, so, Roman didn't come across the desk? So we and... haven't
0: told you, huh? No, we're, we're part of the whitetail family now. Whitetail? Whitetail smokeless family now, yeah. Oh, so, really? You dip too? Every now and then I have. Yeah, is I'm that, is
2: that, is that a Prattville it. thing?
1: It, you know what? This was not a thing that I did until I tried it in Prattville. I threw up everywhere in June And then I didn't do it again until I was in the NFL. And then from there, I, I was falling asleep in meetings. And with, like, sunflower seeds in my mouth. Right. And I had a friend of mine that was like, dude, here, put that down. Yeah. And then grab one of these uh, cans of dip. And, and nicotine then... will wake you right up on Man, it. Man, boom. I was like, dude, I got a little buzz. It reminded me of when I was in high school and early in college when I would, like, smoke a black and mild in the college, in yeah. the club.
2: <laughs> like, black and mild, <laughs> I, like, I love it. little a little bit. Yeah, next you <laughs> <soon laughs> know, I start
1: dancing and stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, okay, I yeah, kind of like this. Is, I'm so white,
0: it's called white. Whitetail smokeless. Whitetail uh, smokeless. tail out of Jefferson, Wisconsin. Shout out to our buddy Rob, and uh, for for guys like me and to a lesser degree him. You know, this is a it's a nasty habit. It's not one that I'm even all that excited to mm-hmm. talk about all the time. Except, right. You know, we found a partner with someone who's out here not just selling a great product, but helping people because uh, you, you, he likes to make fun of me for being a hillbilly all the time. And uh, you know, how uh, you sound? Well,
2: I mean, yeah. Kind of oh, okay. And, <laughs> and, and you know, when I was driving through this nice neighborhood of Myers Park, yeah, I'm saying. Where's the house? I'm looking for the address. And all of a sudden I see that pickup truck (laughs) with a VT on the back. I said, that's got to be it. That's it. I've arrived.
0: Yeah. So uh, I took my first one at 12 years old. And then I started dipping regularly when I got a a driver's license. And uh, just a bad habit I picked up. See, that is so early
1: to pick up a really bad habit like that, which, look, we all know dipping is uh, – it can be yeah. – it can have its effects on you long term. Yep. Uh, and that's one of the biggest things. You just – you so, want to I mean, make sure you I, be the there. The irony of a broadcaster having his tongue cut out, you know, or, you know, something along yeah, those lines that wouldn't is be just good. too
0: much. And I'm, bu- I'm about to be a dad, so this was uh, obvious. But they're, they're literally saving people's lives. I mean, it's uh, – there's so many men out there. That, when I tell some people that, you know, I've been dipping and using chewing tobacco for 15, 20, 20 years, I guess – you know, they look at me like they can't believe it. Well, of course, I don't advertise it. Right. You know, I, I've never right. – but, you know, I've been in a radio studio or calling a game or driving down the it's, – road. it's a horrible habit. But yeah. Finally, they've, they've made something that, you know, can help guys get off it, kick it, and, uh, and avoid the cancer that comes with yeah, tobacco. Yeah, good, good, well, good. So, shout out, check them out, deerdip.com. Yeah. I was thinking about this, though. Uh, you were talking about Dean and coaching at mm. Carolina. Your career as Coach point, Smith. <laughs> you're right. You, Coach, no,
2: there, there, he there's, played for him. There, that there, is, that's a reflex. There's right like there. you can't like, – Put don't, some respect on his name, Kyle. I, 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 don't, I don't like, you know, Coach Bryant or Bear – you don't call him Bear. Like, no. You know what his I mean? boys
0: do, but you're right. Yeah, yeah sure. So anyway, yeah. But, yeah. It's, so it's anyway, yeah. but I, I respect the hell out of the man. He's done so much more beyond the, the game of basketball. But I was thinking about this because your career has taken such a neat turn. You know, since you came back, you left the A-10, you relocated mm-hmm. back to Charlotte or however mm-hmm. that was. And one day I'm on the radio. And uh, I'm with Bobby Lutz doing a radio show. Uh, Bobby's, you know, former head coach of the Charlotte 49ers. He's now with Fred Hoiberg in the Nebraska program. And uh, you know, coach, I guess, you know, was listening and said, uh, "Hey, I'm back in town. Love to come hang out." Of course, that's a no-brainer. Mm. But he, so he comes in. His radio career's taken off, and he's done Thursdays with me now. And then he goes to the afternoons down the hallway yeah. on WBT. And WBT, for anybody who doesn't know, is one of the original 50,000-watt three-letter uh, stations in America. Yeah. And not only is he working on BT on Thursdays talking politics and news after he does sports with me, but Dean Smith used to – first of all, it was Dean Smith's idea to take WBT in Charlotte, the 50,000-watt signal that went from Maine down to Miami – and to use it as a recruiting tool, to put North Carolina basketball on WBT so that he could go up to places like Long Island where they found Matt Daugherty and tell their parents back in the day, you may not be able to come watch every game, but if you listen to WBT, even up here, you can listen to your kid play.
2: True story, Roman. Um, Yeah, I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood, and uh, there'd be games. Woody Durham did our games, and, uh, you know, be whatever, weekday, weekend, and... uh, (laughs) My friend, my family and friends of my family would be in their cars in the winter with the heat on listening to Woody Durham on WBT and our games because the reception, for whatever reason, is usually better in your car. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they were listening to all our games. That's funny. That's that's a funny thing. I
1: want to know what was it like being recruited? back in the day like what was so different then like how was it was the the campus visit what was that like what was were you did they you know at one point in time at alabama they had bama bells which were yep. uh and every school had whatever it was well, or whatever them. they called they still got them. They I, still I don't got even them. know so like what was that like back then coach when they were recruiting basketball players yeah. to North coach Carolina. Dean Smith yeah. to North recruiting Carolina, basketball right. players to I bet North that, Carolina I bet that official like, visit was a hell of a lot of fun that's that's got to be the best that's yeah. the ultimate yeah
2: it, it's um i was probably the easiest recruit i i was the earliest commitment that he ever had at that point mm-hmm. uh, i committed uh you were that guy uh, october of october of uh, my senior year mm-hmm. um, and i was you know i was a good player i was not james worthy i was not Michael Jordan. I played on good high school teams. I mean, teams. you named
1: two of the greatest, like, top 50 yeah, players. I mean, like, all right. I mean, like
2: yeah. – But, like uh, – and I was very organized. And, I, fortunately I was being recruited by top programs at yeah. that point. Uh, I came down to Duke, Virginia, uh, Notre Dame in, mm-hmm. in North Carolina. So, I kind of knew what I wanted, knew organized, uh, had the home visits. I didn't have anybody calling the house. I didn't want anybody calling the house and, and – I didn't want to be a, a mess, um, and then I took my visits early, and liked what I saw. And you know, I I was, you know, as a salesperson, you've got to appeal to well, like we just buyer. talked about. You know, you got to know your, you know, know your team. You got to know your recruits and what is going to motivate that young man to commit to you. And within your character as a program, you know, there's a spectrum. You don't want to be all things to all people. And, and, and so, you know, the things that attracted me were winning, style of play, and education, uh, being around good guys. And so um, Coach Smith came into the home visit. And, you know, I'm a McDonald's All-American, uh, not at that point, but, you know, I'm, I end up being a McDonald's All-American and these other schools are, you know, basically saying, okay, you're going to play a lot as a freshman. and
1: um, you know, How many points you average as a senior in high school? Yeah, like 25 or something like that. Yeah, I just—I don't think I've ever spoken to a McDonald's All American before. Yeah, you probably me. have. Well, I'm I'm not, not, i not—I don't, I, I don't think I've talked to you yeah, know.
2: Right, so you definitely did.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah, true. you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, <that's>, uh, <laughs> right. So here's my question for you about the BT thing because you're, you're doing something now that a lot of guys in your position, former coaches, athletes, guys who broadcast, would never do. You're going on the afternoons once a week yeah. and you're talking politics and news on WBT. And you and I, for anybody who again doesn't know, we work together on the sports station. But on WBT, there's uh, a guy, John Hancock, legend, afternoon Mm -hmm. for decades. And Mm -hmm. John retired to as much fanfare as he deserved with uh, a lot of people very sad to see him go. I got the call the week beforehand saying, hey, we need you to fill in for Hancock the day after he retires. Well, that's a hell of an assignment. Right. right That's like following
2: Dean Smith or or Bear Bryant. (laughs)
0: Right. You know, after a beloved (laughs) legend retires on a 50,000 watt like heritage news station that's nearly 100 years old. Hey, we need you to sit in for John today. He just retired. They're all going to hate you because they're crying and miss John, but go right for it. Coach and I did a couple of shows over there together and we we, we kept it light. We we didn't get too deep into the political realm, but. Not a lot of people feel comfortable doing that, going on talking politics while they go back and talk sports, because sports is supposed to be, anyway, pretty bipartisan. Why, why do you feel comfortable doing
2: that? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I was nervous about it, mm-hmm. and, and I knew that I couldn't be the host because I'm not, I don't have that knowledge um I didn't I took one poly sci class in, in college and they they called it poly slide 41 <laughs> at North Carolina <laughs> Education. <laughs> yeah, yeah there you go. It. I just laid that up for you, Roman. And so, you uh knew it was coming. I, I I I but thank God for good hosts like you and Brett Winterbull and I think what it it offered me was in a chance to stretch my thinking and my range of topics. Um I never was very political, but as you get older and you have kids that are growing, you're you you you're more interested in things besides sports. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I wanted to stretch myself a little bit. And um, Matt Hanlon, Mike Schaefer, um, now Terry Fox, they've given me the opportunity to inject the leadership component because leadership, there is a leadership component in every topic. You know, whether it be we're talking about media, we're talking about uh, the, the governor of the state, we're talking about the president of the United States that we could always go back to a leadership component. And so, uh, it's really been the highlight of my week is, is, is coming in and working with you and then Brett Winnable, uh, on WBT. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and I think that I had to, you know, your self-awareness, know thyself, um, like I like to talk. I like to express my opinion. And like, I was beaten into me as a young man: be humble, be humble, be humble. Mm-hmm. And so now, like, I'm admitting that I like talking on the radio. I like writing a book. I like doing TV games. Is I feel guilty? I'm Irish Catholic. Do you deal with the guilt? Like, is that bad of me? <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: You know. And I'm like,
1: uh, but I'm like, that's, that's co- conflict of interest, right? <laughs> uh, inner conflict. So, um, I think I'm I need 8% it. Irish too. So I just want to let everybody know that yeah, I did yeah. my 23 and me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. 8% baby. I always love St. Patrick's percent day. Irish. Always love St. Patrick's day. How much day. percent? Eight. Roman O'Harper. Yeah. Roman O'Harper. <laughs> I always. Oh, I, Harper. I love it. O'Harper. Yeah, I love Harper. it. I mean, I always knew I loved St. Patrick's Day, but I didn't know it was in me. Like, I didn't know that. Uh, I, I, that was like more. I was more Irish than I was like Native American. And that's like, incredible. I, I I still haven't done it, but I, I I'm embarrassed. And like see. they send you more updates the more people get tested, so it's just kind of cool. Like I didn't want I I was had no interest in it because I knew where I was from. Like you know, my are parents of people are out there from out there, though, Alabama. I think those services are just the way the CIA is secretly right. collecting your DNA. No, I you agree. I agree. I place. was one of those, but my wife wanted to do it, so it was all cool. Yeah, that's that's. What, Sorry, I, done I don't that. want to interrupt. No, you're, that's uh, a cool story. But, you know, talking about my people, you know well, no, the I Irish people. Yeah, fired up. You know. Yeah,
2: but anyway, so there's a conflict. But now, like, you have to accept it, and you realize, like, okay, that's maybe a talent you have. And, like, don't suppress the talent and use it for good. So, like, I do – I'm a Christian, and I like to throw that in there once in a while. I don't want to put that in people's faces and turn them off, but I think it's a chance to – discuss that it's but you're a not chance. afraid of who you are yeah
0: and, and I think that's what it takes first first of all you're right you know I'm I was raised the same way blue collar family you know don't ever be arrogant don't ever right. look down on people don't treat people poorly those sorts right. of things and so because I'm in a position that I am having a talk show and most of it solo for the last couple of years, people no doubt have, you know, developed a, an opinion of me in some way, shape or form. Oh, this guy just loves to hear himself talk. Right. Or, you know, of course, you know, he must think he's so important. No, I, I like to talk to people. Right. It's one thing. Yeah, that I yeah, was, yeah. I, it's a gift I was given. that I. That's the
2: Irish gift of gab, Roman.
0: Boom. Irish gift of gab. And so it's fun. But like we play, a, it's a running joke on my show where you know Smoke, my, yeah. my young producer Smoke, he keeps a running list of the number of times that a listener will accuse me of being a far-right-wing conservative or being a tree-hugging liberal. And it's been about a, a couple dozen times in each column. You know, and I, don't, I think it's hilarious, but, you know, this is not a political show that I do, but you right. also know that I'll broach topics. I'm comfortable yeah. talking about most anything, and especially if there's an intersection of sports and politics. Yes. You know, that, that's t- those are some of the most fun conversations. And I do think it's probably more acceptable now right now, let's say 20 years ago 30 years ago a coach probably you know gets lambasted you know in the, the local paper if he decides to wade into politics for some reason but now you got greg popovich teeing off on the on the president yesterday. well you got greg.
1: to because your athletes you have to be with your your players if you lose your locker room you have nothing you have nothing what do you think about 100
2: percent people ask me all the time you know why would he have that stance? Why would you take a knee? Why would you? De- I said, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you don't. You don't voice an opinion that is respectful to the players. Yep. And again, it goes back to respect. You don't have to agree, but respect
1: is huge, like you're saying.
2: Listen to them. Give them a voice. Mm-hmm. Look at uh, Deshaun Watson. Now it's a little bit of a different. Topic is not as much politics, but it's leadership. He's pissed off right He's now. Pissed off. Oh, yeah, He's off. pissed off. And now you could say, well, who the hell is he? He's an employee. He gets paid a lot of money to be a quarterback. Shut up and let other people do the job. Well, obviously, they opened the door for him to voice his opinion. You better follow through and let him voice his opinion. And he has even said, hey, you don't have to take my opinion. I just want you to know what I think we need. And then
1: when you interview people, I'd like to be involved. Not only that, but the only person in that organization that has more money than him is the freaking owner. Right. He gonna be making more than anybody else. So his opinion should matter. Should matter. Because you owe him as much money as he does. And he in the NFL, a quarterback puts people in the seats. Not I mean, JJ Watt's a great player, but people don't come out there to watch JJ Watt. I'm sorry. Not like, to
0: the same degree. Not to At the least, same degree. I mean, J.J. Like, Watt's a superstar, but still, you're right, not to the same degree.
1: It's just not going to happen. We found that out with T.O. and Donovan Knapp m- many years ago. Right. Like, no matter how great you are, a quarterback's always going to be on top. It's just what it is. That's the league. That's the NFL brand, and that's what it's built around. And what Coach was hitting on is so important is that you don't have to agree with what your player's stance is on some things. And players understand that. Like Players and coaches – Hardly ever agree on everything. It's too much of an age gap. It's too much of a mental gap. It's so many other things and barriers in between. But you got to get to them and be able to relate to them on some type of level. And if you don't, those guys will never fully, fully go all out for you. And that's what you got to do. You can't expect them to lay it all on the line for you and play a game, right, for you and help you win. And then when it comes to issues that's important to them, you're like, oh, I don't know if this is a good time. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah, Yeah. that's – That's the quickest way to lose the locker room. That's the quickest way to lose respect from your players. And they will never fully commit to you once that happens.
2: Especially in pro sports when most of the players are making more money than the head coach. That's true. Especially the stars that are the leaders of the team. Especially the star players. Especially because
1: the the younger players, they fall in line with the star players. If the star players lose respect for certain people or the way the organization is going and trending in the wrong direction – Man, like JJ Watt is a star player, and he commands more respect than the whole organization of the Houston Texans. Period. Right. You can tell when they interview him, the things he says, the things that he's able to accomplish when it comes to raising money for that community, the things that he's able to do outside of that building, he does it at a better a better than the whole organization. The organization could fit all the money, but they choose not to. But JJ Watt can go out there and start a GoFundMe and raise a couple hundred thousand dollars in a couple of days it's crazy it's just been interesting to watch sports and the reckoning that
0: sports has had with yeah. all the things that have happened in 2020 you know between the unrest the protests the pandemic yeah. uh, i mean every, sports I, I told we i think we talked about it last week and i was talking about it today i mean sports took it in the teeth in the last six months yeah. of 2020 it really did and, and i think sports is big enough popular enough strong enough to bounce back but i don't think it's going to happen overnight no because we've seen team when, when teams start laying off employees you know, and the NBA is talking about expansion in Vegas and Seattle just to make $5 billion in expansion fees so they can dish out some money to teams who lost a load of money last season. Uh, you know, people lost interest. The ratings for the Masters were down 51%. I mean, sports, this is a big year for sports to bounce back, don't you think? Yeah,
2: it is. And there's such a conflict because you have people on the opposite ends of the spectrum from, you know, the athletes and, and some of the coaches with, uh, the, on the left. With you know, especially like Black Lives Matter, and then you have the ownership that may or may not be on board with that, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, what do we do? What's good for business? What's the what's the right thing that, in my terms of beliefs?" Mm -hmm. um, And but you know what? Uh, At the end of the day, it. Uh, the our country's in such a bad place right now, but maybe just maybe it brings people to the table and we have real conversations. I just really am concerned with some of the politicians, because when you start calling people names, that's disrespectful and they're going to tune out. I, w- I was thinking about that last night. I was up Give late. Give me an example. I want to hear. Well, yeah, well uh, you know, like, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader from California, was on the House floor, and he's he's now the minority leader mm-hmm. of the, the House. And he's saying all the right things, like, hey, we've got to reach across the aisle. We've got to communicate. We've got to do this and that. And then, you know, Nancy Pelosi comes out and, you know, and Schumer, and they want to impeach the president. And, like president's only got like 10, 10 days. 10 days. Like so so now you're just showing him utter disrespect. And 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 anybody that's talking about healing, you know, Joe Biden's talking about bringing the country together and now you want to impeach the president who has 74 million followers um that that that's like taking a step back like McCarthy shows the olive branch and they take a lighter to it. Right. That's He's also, on the
0: other hand, got grenades, though. Kevin McCarthy, at the same time, though, and they, I, I hear what you're saying, that there's a lot of bad rhetoric right now in the chambers of, of Congress, but at the same time, though, one side's calling each other communists and socialists and, you know, left-wing extremists. The other side's calling everybody fascists and racists and things like that. So we have inflammatory, you know, language. But, but, but my point is, no. It, we'll it. On real quick. But And the other part of that is, though, you know, I feel like you're letting 45 off the hook a little bit there, though, because as a result of what happened two days ago, there are five people dead right now. Well, and and, well, I'm, I'm, and well, believe me, well, before it, I'm going to finish that thought, you have a lot of Republicans the other day who switched the vote to the objection of the, the certification of the election based on what he just saw. We have half the White House resigning right now. That's
2: not happening for no reason. Why? Self-preservation. Oh, there's no doubt no, that's yeah, part of it. There's no sure doubt that's part of it.
0: I don't doubt that for a People second. People
2: want jobs. But they're
0: also like Betsy DeVos, even. And regardless of how you feel about her, her rhetoric was really clear that, you know, his fingerprints were on it, that every the words that he said incited that. If Betsy DeVos is saying that, what are we supposed to believe?
2: Yeah. Well, You know, this could be a whole nother podcast. But this is what I like. I like to debate. I like to learn. Because you and I do respect. And and it has to be respectful. Mm -hmm. Um, And it gets emotionally charged. And then people start saying, well, you you know, like, you know, on Twitter, when you show support for Trump, immediately people are going to say, you're a racist. Whoa, what? And then you say, well, there's 7 million people of color that voted for him. So, you know and Herschel Walker, you know, who probably knows him better than most. Um, and so that that's where it gets, the leadership is really, really bad. And, you know, we can, I mean, you know, I, I could say, yeah, okay, well, Antifa led the charge and who funds Antifa? Well, there's no proof of that,
0: none. In fact, I've seen all the photos circulating, two or three of them have been outed as not only known, but prominent QAnon and, you know right wing you know supporters and that's fine that's their right to do that but the guy with the horns the other day you start seeing these pictures circulating oh he's antifa he's uh, he's dressed up as a counter protester well then 5 minutes later there's was all of
2: he was also at uh the black lives matter he protest was, but
0: he also posted a video of himself shaking Rudy Giuliani's hand saying that he was a hero and posting all the qAnon stuff in without the regalia yeah,
2: so there's no antifa there
0: No no all I'm saying is there's been no evidence shown if no I'm not evidence. there was I'm not saying there wasn't I don't know I wasn't you don't there know. That's it. I don't we know. We had
2: somebody on the air yesterday who said they were there. I yeah. don't know. All yeah. I'm
0: saying is what people have brought to me and said this is yeah. proof that it was there. Well, that was immediately debunked. But and my I guess point, the point there my to you and I talking about, though, you go back to the BLM protests, which are now actively being compared to what just happened. What was the rhetoric then? Well, hey, 98% of those people were out there peacefully protesting. 2% of the people made the thing go south. So are we all in agreement now that those instances like that are usually just the result of about, you know, a 1% or 2% extreme fringe? Can we all agree on that now?
2: Yeah, well, unless it's um, promoted by or funded by one of the parties. And that's, you know, that's where – you don't know my whole point when we started talking about this in leadership is that kevin mccarthy after all that happened extended the olive branch and then i think that that gave an opportunity for pelosi and schumer and whomever else to accept it and take the high road and no one's Kevin McCarthy, so far, is the only one who 's taken the high road and and that 's what we need to bring healing to this country uh, we can 't have any more name calling uh, from from either side because then you 're not going to come to a table with an open mind
1: so i think i think I think it is important to to make sure we continue to say the, talk about the the healing part because our structure is broken broken and yep. it's sad that you know living in america my whole life i'm grew up in the south as a black man like i don't hide from all these other things i don't run from it it's not a big deal to me because i was always raised to never use race as a crutch my dad never did it and i've never been taught to do it right mm-hmm. it's never been about race for me that's the last on my my agenda or what i try and bring up and use as an excuse for anybody or for anything if it's something that's holding me back, it's my own, and that I have to find a way and do it myself. Amen. That's how. You, 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 you,
2: you were blessed to be raised by a good dad.
1: Correct, no doubt about it. But when you see certain things and when you hear certain things, and uh, it's not all, it's not all judged the same. It's just clearly, it's not. Right. And and when you saw some of the protesters. And they're met by, like, early in the summer. It was always police out there. It was always enough police, it seemed like, except for when things like you would talked about, we talked about that 2% after the peaceful protesting all day long, then when nightfall hit, you just seen opportunists, arsonists, people coming out on all over walks right. of life. I don't care where they're from, they're all wrong. Right. And then what Correct. we saw the other day, I did not see it live, all right? I was getting it from my phone. I was working, but still... The fact that we had people attack our own Capitol building is scary. Yes. And the fact that we...
0: Over two centuries since the last time that happened.
1: And the fact that we did not have police and people there to protect it was another thing that... That's why so many people of color are asking, like, well, how does that happen? If that would have been a black person or more black people trying to attack, would have ended the same. Muslim folks. and, And I personally... I. We just have not in history have seen it, it would not have been they would not have been moving barricades. And you saw that from certain police officers. And I hope they but, find but, all but, of them but for why all the wrongdoings. I think it's this just because in America we have gotten so used to seeing a black person dead on the right. streets or being killed by a police officer. And we almost have like, man. We get used to seeing. There was it.
2: a white lady who was a member of the Air Force for 14 years, shot and killed. Yeah. So well, she couldn't, she should that right? not have crossed it.
1: she should not have crossed that line. When they're telling well, you, do not go in there, they stormed the Capitol building. Th- that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm surprised more people would not killed. Right. I, I, I really I agree. am. I'm but surprised my, more my, people were not killed. My question that you have to ask,
2: and I'm, I was never a conspiracy theorist mm-hmm. until, until maybe six years ago.
1: Okay, I can't. Wait oh, okay, to hear this. And, okay, and I, I and this. believe
2: in, in, in terms of the the manipulation behind the scenes. Correct. You have to ask yourself, why did these security people and cops wave these people through these barricades?
1: My wife is asking the same question. Why? Did
2: you see
0: the interview with the the, the one young – I mean, he was clearly – had the Trump regalia on, was doing his news interview. And I'll, I'll pull it up and show it to you after we're done here. He said he was describing what it was like to charge into the Capitol building to a reporter, and he made the comment offhand. He said some of the cops were directing us where to go. Right. And it's almost <laughs> like they were with us. No, I <laughs> saw the video. I saw the
2: videos, two, two videos. They knew it was coming back for weeks, and they still weren't prepared. My <laughs> point is – my point is – and th- this is—you have to ask yourself this question. You don't have to agree with. Did the Democrats want that to happen, to 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 give Trump a bad name, so his legacy is ruined and he can't? They can try to impeach him, so he can't run in 2024.
1: um So I would ask myself that, and I would kind of counter by, well. Well, who's to say the Democrats are in control of the police at the Capitol?
2: Well, didn't Nancy Pelosi just say that uh, they fired uh, the House Sergeant of Arms? Yeah, I think she he, announced he, that. Well,
1: he,
0: I think he, he, he resigned, a, and yeah. I think they called for the resignation of the D.C. Capitol Police. And And to add to that point, I think, a little bit, too, you know, is it— that, which look, I'm open to these things. I think you I, have I'm to not, have the question. I'm not so gullible. And I tell right. people all the time I'm not so gullible that I don't think that there are lots of nefarious things about the United States federal right. government that we don't know. I'm not that naive. Right. And I never have been. Mm-hmm. Makes you think, think that, about you, Yeah, You're right. Did, did the Democrats want it to happen? Uh, maybe uh, uh, oh, um, look, on, me, a Democrat
1: quick. would want that happen because it is, say, is is it is a terrible look.
0: Did they just catch it's a terrible a break look. And, and or was it a result of, quite frankly, stand back and stand by, be there, be wild. Yeah. And standing in front of that crowd and telling them to walk down the street to the Capitol building. Now, look, I've made it clear, you know, in my past, because you and I are always honest with each other. I'm not as big a fan. I don't like the way he's handled this stuff. Oh, he's, an, he's a jerk. But you, know, you also know about me because what I just said to you and pushing back on McCarthy and all that, somebody listening to this is going to hear me say that or make that argument and say, oh, what a liberal. Is that what I am? Yeah. Because to other people, yeah. they see me get out of that truck down there, you know, and they find out that I own guns and that I like to hunt and fish and that I've dipped for 20 years. You know, and that I, I agree with conservatives on certain things. So is that what I am? or Am I allowed to have an independent stream of thought without you trying to put me into a box?
2: We've exactly right. You're we, we need to be able to have. This is why I like these conversations. We've got a redneck from Virginia. <laughs> We've got an Irish guy from Alabama. <laughs>
1: hands up, but, baby. But hands up, baby. Actually,
2: there's a term called Black Irish. That's and me. and I'm, I'm considered Black Irish because I had dark hair as a kid. The uh-huh. Spanish I believe, is a Spanish Armada invaded the west coast of Ireland.
1: And they did more than just, you know. And then uh, when you invade Ireland, island, it's a whole bunch of pillaging and right. ravaging and right. all right. the other things underneath all that. And right. so,
2: you know, uh, anyway, so we might be, you know, like real brothers. Hey,
1: it's all good. God I'll call you my so. brother today. Anyway. <laughs> God, so. That would be amazing. <laughs> I just, I'm that. just mad because you got all the hype. But I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but
2: I like the fact that's where you get the gray hair from. And the bushy eyebrows. I've had that's the Irish thing.
1: Dude, it's it. And, and so,
2: but anyway, the up. thing I love about this, and I've encouraged, I've had Sam Perkins on, Scott Williams, two former Carolina players, two NBA players. I want to know how you think as a black man growing up in the South. That's I the wanna difference. know because that's the only way I can learn because I'm not. Right. And so I want, that's empathy, that's leadership, that's, I want to know. So now I can say, oh, okay, all right, now I get it. Now I, now I get it better. I'll never fully get it, but I'll get it better than I did before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abraham Lincoln had a great quote. He says, I do not like that man. I must get to know him better. Yep.
0: That's the second Lincoln quote he's hit me with that uh, has been really damn good in the last yeah. two days. Lincoln. Yesterday th- it was, uh, what was it, aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the plan? Oh, that was, that was so I had nasty. people text into the show saying you floored them with that line because <laughs> it is really, really good, but I love what you just
2: said there, and yeah. I think that's what's missing, and I'm so glad because you Because we're so, like, I thought about this. I'm trying to do a Bible study uh, with, through the church and read, you know, some, some chapters every day, and I thought, like, Jesus took his time with people mm-hmm. and sat down and was patient and listened and gave teachings. And he didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have a, a, an appointment book. Um, he didn't have a car. Um, what would he look like in today's day? How would he manage his day? Because it's tough to get, uh, okay, I got to go, man. Or, or like, you know, I, people can't focus because they're they, – They're feeling the the vibration in their pocket. It's their phone. You know, so how can we, and we get polluted by the crap we, this has been the best thing and the worst thing that ever happened to in our lives probably is the cell phone. And then, you know, who is driving the media? And I think we've got to ask that because as a conservative, I don't trust the media anymore. Mm -hmm. I think they're not reporting their news. They're reporting their opinion. I agree with that. I, I
0: agree with that. Matter of fact, I, I, I think that's a perspective. There should always be healthy skepticism when, when you're reading, you know, when you're following any kind of media. Mm-hmm. There should all, because the truth is, that's, that's the sort of thing that's, I think, amplified a lot in the last several years. But since the dawn of journalism, it's always been people reporting the news. It's always been inherently biased because you're, you're accounting or you're counting on a second-hand accounting of something that happened. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm not trivializing or, or minimalizing that so much as that's always been a component of the news the, the issue we have right now, and I think you just hit on it, is, is corporate media, is you know, money and media that is more geared toward rewarding shareholders mm-hmm. and, and making money than it is about telling the truth, reporting the facts. Correct. And, and I do think there have the been some good things that have come out of the last four years. I think that's one of them because I do think that you have seen a lot of news organizations, whether by force or by self-recognition, say, we we need to re-examine what we do. We need to buckle down and report the facts. And I watched both networks. I told him, CNN and Fox on election night. I went back and forth between the two just to see the contrasting coverage. What I found was they both did a good job reporting the news that night. They actually have good news divisions. Their news divisions and their entertainment news divisions are very siloed and very separate. And so when you're watching primetime, be it Cooper, Tapper, Cuomo, Lemon, or Hannity, Carlson, whoever it is, you know, you are getting the editorialized news. Right. And if you like those individuals, fine. <clears throat> but, you know, with the Tucker Carlson Fox lawsuit a, a couple of uh, you know, months back that basically Fox argued on his behalf when they were sued for something, said, well, no reasonable person would turn on Tucker Carlson and think that it's completely factual. Well, that's not just about Tucker and Fox. That now provides cover for CNN and for MSNBC to say the same things about their evening anchors. So I think it's on a lot of us, too, to have some accountability in how we, you know, digest news and what we do with it. I think there are a whole lot of people out there that want to play the victim. Oh, the media's doing this. Okay, well, the media sucked at times for the last several years, and we've told them all about it for years now. But now at this point we've acknowledged it, we know it, we've demanded better, and now it's on you to use information better to make choices, as you just said, to make better choices in your
2: life. People don't have the time, though, to do that deep dive. Like when I was coaching – or had in other jobs, I wanted to try to prepare to vote for the election. And it, it couldn't take the time to read the articles. So you only really get to listen to a station or listen to a podcast or listen to the news in the car. And you don't have the time to flip back and forth. You know, it, it takes work to do what you just said. And, and, and so, um,
1: I don't think that's all the way true. i got to disagree with you on that. I think if you want to be – like, information is readily available for everybody from the best and worst thing that's ever happened to us, right. the phone. And if you want to make an educated decision or decision about these things, then you can do the research. No, I, and I, I just – I agree with that. I would tell people, more people, that go out there and find the re- – and do your own research. Do your homework. <laughs> My wife's always on me because I'm the one that's on – on TV or on the radio, or talking more, and that I like be the I like being the guy that knows a lot, well, a little about a lot, right? And not just mastering everything. And she's always on me about you should do more, like you should find out more, and that's on me. So I I don't want to give people the out because I'm tired of people looking at America and saying that we're not smart, and that when I go to Canada or I go to other countries that. Like, how did this happen? Or why are we doing this? And America is spoiled in these type of ways. In a lot of ways, we are. We yes. need to really look at ourselves in the mirror and where we're going as a country. It's how not does good? education and, and on earth dropped to 27th in education? How
0: does that happen? I, I, how does that
1: happen? Because we don't we don't properly fund our education. Education is the biggest separator in this country. And yes, it is. And that education in, is the key to, to fixing it, all of this, it, by the way. Education is the biggest thing, and education is a separator. Be, and, and it's not so much as... All, and, I think race plays into it, too, but I think that's second. I think education is number one. I I think because if you're smart and you're educated, like, that's the advantage. That's the one that's going to put you ahead of the curve is the education aspect of it. 100%. Because your kid – man, I just watched my daughter who's in third grade talk to me about the economy. And what makes up an economy? Whether it's the market and goods and sales, and what goes on with this, and where it's a free trade and an open market and open economy versus a closed economy. She's in third grade. Love that, right? And that's because the education <laughs> that she's being passed along, whether Love it's that. from my wife or an, an us inside the home or at school, with a mixture of both. And that is what so many of us.
2: I'd go with your wife and school.
1: You're probably right. Yeah, that? You're probably I actually that? have absolutely nothing to do with it. I don't do kids' school. Gentlemen,
0: I hate to wrap this up, but I, I've, got to, I've got to go from this right back to work. So I want to end on this, if that's okay with yeah, you. it no, uh, has been so much fun. No. I think it's obvious and a no-brainer. We're going to have him back. Yeah, Thanks, but, Coach. Uh, no, and I really
1: appreciate it, man. And this. I love that quote you hit with Abraham Lincoln. That was beautiful. Oh, he's got Thank Lincoln quotes for That days. was absolutely amazing. I wish so many more people would hear that. So repeat that before yeah. you get out of here. Yeah, Is yeah, it?
2: yeah. It, 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 Abraham Lincoln said, I do not like that man. I must get to know him better. I collect quotes quotes and I put them on Twitter and I do it to hopefully help others, but I really do it to reinforce it for me. Yeah. You know, and if you want to come along for the ride, meaning the general public, you're welcome. But these are, are really reminders. It's like my practice, like my study, like okay, reminder. These quotes like the one you mentioned earlier, um, I need I need that one in the rotation because it's just Disgust, is it disgust, it disgust of, of self-recognition, self recognition. Yeah. yeah. So lo- it's kinda, I'm gonna lay something kind of heavy on you, but I think it's a great way
0: to end it because of what you're doing with your book and your leadership practice. You and I don't agree on everything politically. He and I don't agree on everything. Yeah. yeah. But as we've seen, we gotta figure out a way to bridge this divide right. here now. And, and I watched it in the Senate the other night. I've watched it on the internet for years. I, I don't know how we do this. And I, I don't know how this gets fixed because I, you've got competing groups of people right now in this country that feel like they're speaking a different language. And i would said to Roman a while back, the last great world event, or at least American event, that forced people to drop the partisan bickering and come together was 9-11. Now a pandemic should have done it. If there was anything that should have brought everybody together and and moving in the same direction, it probably should have been a pandemic. But as we know, that just maybe widened the divide. (laughs) How how do you
2: fix this? Yeah, I, I said that earlier, funny you say that, I said that earlier in the year that it would take probably a war to bring us together and then Nine Eleven, um, then the pandemic hit. Um, uh, I think that a couple things. Maybe we need uh, more than just two parties. Um,
1: yeah, I think I, we need. It, it has become tribalism. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, part. Matter of uh, fact, you, the, the libertarian uh, sen-
0: is it Senator Congressman Justin Amash. Amash, he's a, he's a libertarian. You know, he's he's more conservative on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But uh, he he was. I think he's tweeted something the other night calling for constitutional conservatives, uh, moderate. Uh, Republicans and a few other groups to say, hey, we we need to come together to form a third party, a coalition of reasonable individuals, mm-hmm. you know, who want to govern together and actually fix some issues because we have two polarized yeah. groups of people. Uh, 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 but Sorry, I, think, I think I
2: think I think to to how do you fix the system? Uh, I think that uh, um, I think there should be salary caps uh, on term limits. And term limits, yes. both. I think term limits, you, you, you know, you shouldn't have lifelong politicians. No. That's why these guys are bailing on their decisions because they're like, self-preservation, I want a job. <laughs> so, okay, I'm out. You know, Trump didn't win. I'm jumping over here like, yeah, I didn't think Trump was real all that. You know, I like you. That's a nice jacket you're wearing. You <laughs> yeah, know? It's American politics. You, right. right. And so so the other thing is money can't drive the decisions that are in the best interest of our country, our, p- our people. So if I'm running for president, and that's why I like Trump from the beginning, because he didn't owe anybody big time. I mean, I'm, he's, I'm sure he owed some people favors, but not. he didn't need the money. He didn't need the job. He didn't owe a lot of people favors as opposed to some other politicians because they've got to raise money for their campaign. So now, you know, if you're going to give me a lot of money, I'm going to do what's in your best interest when I get into office. And we've got to avoid that because that should not. After should four not
1: years, are we better or worse? And how do you, what would you give him the overall grade of? Well, it's, you know. <laughs> and you've got to take into account what just happened like 48 hours ago. Right. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Look, no, you no you've got to. <laughs> you, I, you.
2: I hate
0: to. I hate to rush the process, gentlemen. I, I do have to run. So I will oh. say, oh, like, yeah. I'll say this just real quick. I mean, I think that. If, if we can manage, if we can find a way to avoid any further escalation of violence, I actually think that we are in a, a decent enough place with greater awareness around the board for everybody to say, okay, we know we have issues. We nearly burnt this shit to the ground. <laughs> Let's all take a breath and realize we have to figure this out because this big turtle shell is all we got. Yeah, That's it. The, 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 the only other choices are bad ones.
2: Yeah, well, I think that uh, if if they would have conversations like the three of us just had, yeah. uh, the world would be a better – the country would be a better place. I, I would
0: agree. Matt Darty, I, I call him Coach Matt Darty. His new book, Rebound, From Pain to Passion, is out now on Amazon.
2: On, on Amazon. Uh, pre-order on Amazon. And next week, uh, the E. Book version will be available on Amazon. Love it.
1: You will be a regular. Thank, thank you, you. Appreciate Roman it. Harper, thank you, buddy. Appreciate thank you, guys. And you can get everything else on Amazon too. Your other household items, <laughs> right along with Coach's book. <laughs> Jeff Bezos' assistant.
0: I don't even know what that's about. We'll we'll talk to you on episode twenty-two for Coach Matt Doherty, Roman Harper. I'm Kyle Bailey. As always, work hard. Be nice to each other.